text is in Genesis chapter 26, the last two verses. I thought to go into the next chapter about the, the blessing of Isaac on his sons, but the last two verses speak with such caution, with such authority, as all the Word of God does. But we must not overlook a single portion of Scripture. I came upon my wife's quiet time recently, and she listens to the Scripture as she reads it. And it was in a, a really unusual part of the Scripture. And uh, I was saying, I said, you know, that, that's, you have to really stick with it, you know, that, that portion right there. And she said, well, I'm trying to get over to where the blessing is, you know. <laughs> Try to get through those genealogies and all, but all of it is the Word of God, every word of it. And we'll miss a blessing, miss instruction if we don't heed Every word of God. Our Lord said not one jot or tittle will pass away to all be fulfilled. And he said to Satan, man shall not live by food, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And with that holy injunction in place, let us look at these two last verses of Genesis chapter 26. Verse 34. And Esau was 40 years old, not a teenager, not a young man. He ought to have known better. He was from a godly home, not a perfect home, as we've seen. There are no perfect homes, no perfect churches. Sinners saved by grace, doing the best they can, often in mistakes. But Esau has no excuse for doing about what he's about to do. He had heard, no doubt, the recounting of his grandfather so carefully seeking the Lord in the choice of his mother for his father. He knows he's been and he's heard these holy conversations. He knows it is against the will of God to intermarry with the heathen, the pagan, those who do not know him or care to know him. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beery, now, another thing we need to know, Judith is her Hebrew name. When he came home, he told his daddy he knew that her Canaanite name would, not, would be forever a thorn in his father's side. When you read chapter 36, which is the last record of Esau's life, a very uh, detailed chapter of all of his descendants, you'll find that uh, in it, the reason that some have it difficult to understand, his wives have double names. They have their pagan names, and they have their Hebrew names. It was a custom when people were converted, when they came to know the Lord, to be given a new name, but just having a name doesn't make you converted. Being a member of the Irish Baptist Church doesn't make you saved. There are those who have the name. They name the name, but they know nothing of the saving grace of God. So Judith was not her real name, not her given name, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Bathsheba, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Again, her real name was Aholibama, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Holy Spirit of God, would you teach us the things of God today? There are young people who are considering going out their own way. They've been taught by godly parents and precepts and Sunday school teachers and pastors who have pled with them to marry in the Lord and to seek the Lord's face in all things. But 
they have gotten, Lord, with a crowd who looks down on the old ways and the teachings of the Lord. Oh, I pray that you would intervene if there's such a case under the sound of my voice. And for these younger people and even older people who have not made that decision yet, but may they be very cautious when they enter into the holy matrimony because it is of you and you have specific guidelines of only in the Lord for your people. Oh, Spirit of God, search the deep things of God and show them to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may not know that Shauna is the daughter of Sandy and Ron Hass, our children's ministers. She was in the second grade when her parents came here on staff and grew up here and graduated from our Christian school as an attorney here in the city. We praise the Lord for our young people and what the Lord does in their lives. The last we heard of Esau was that he was so despising of his birthright that he was willing in a moment of being absolutely controlled by the flesh, he willingly gave up that privileged status for a simple meal to satisfy his hunger. The birthright, as we've already looked at, is, was one of the most important things in the culture of that day, in all of society. The firstborn, as we've seen, would, would not only receive a double portion of the father's inheritance, he would become the leader both spiritually and in every other way of the family. He would be the, the spiritual leader of the home. He would be the overseer of the father's business and great responsibility would be on his shoulders to lead not only in the sacrifices that were offered to the Lord, which all pictured the coming sacrifice of the Savior, of teaching every generation until the next his oldest would take his place. What an awesome responsibility and privilege it was. Esau cared nothing for it whatsoever. And Jacob knew it. And as we study Jacob's lives, Jacob has plenty of faults and failures like we all do. We only have to look within the, the heart that, of the one that's beating in our chest to know that we all fall short. And I think, and I probably my own preaching and teaching have done Jacob a disservice I want us to remember that nowhere in the scripture does the Bible condemn Jacob. Bible teachers do. We don't like what we see in Jacob when he tries to get his way. When he uh, so desired the birthright that he, uh, which God said he would give. Didn't God tell his mother, the younger, the older will serve the younger? And uh, while we do not condone all of his ways, the scripture never does condemn Jacob. He so prized these things. And he knew that the Messiah would come through Isaac's lineage. And he knew that his brother would have absolutely disdain and throw it all away, which he does. We see it fulfilled before us. And so we need to keep those things in perspective as we study the scriptures. But in connection with the family of Abraham, there was a particular and peculiar blessing attached to the birthright. It was a spiritual privilege as well as a temporal one. The birthright was a spiritual heritage. It gave the right of being the spiritual leader of the clan. It carried with it the privilege of being the depository and the communicator of divine secrets. And it constituted a link in the line of descent which the Messiah would come into the world, Dr. F.B. Meyer writes. 
Esau shows what he is really like and how controlled by the flesh he really is. He pined and whined, I'm going to die anyway. And he had the philosophy that the Epicureans had and that many live by today. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We might as well give it all we can today and party tonight because we won't be here tomorrow. And that's what Esau thought about life. He was in no condition to lead a, a, a dog pound, let alone a family let alone the, the privileges of God's people to the next generation. He was unfit. And he displays it and lives it out in his life. Esau was a man after the flesh, controlled by his lusts, his feelings. His circumstances dictated to him what he did on even given moment. He did not live by principle. He did not live by the precept of God's word. He did not treasure the things his forefathers treasured. He lived life for the moment, for the flesh, for me, for now. And that's how he lived. His attitude was, I can't eat promises. What good is a promise when you're hungry? What good is godliness when you, you know, have a life to live right now? It won't pay the bills, he reasoned. Give me what I want now, like the prodigal in the New Testament. I'll go to the far country and I'll, I'll just do what I want to with it. I may die any time and I'd rather die full than live to be old and and not have what I want. Self oozes out of all of that, doesn't it? And we despise it. But let us examine our own hearts, even as we're listening to the Holy Spirit describe these who've gone on before us. And so he willingly surrenders the birthright. He did not have to, to, to surrender that blessing to, to Esau, to Jacob. He did it. He, he wanted it. He didn't care about it. And Jacob took an opportunity for his weakness. Now, the Lord will have to sanctify Jacob yet. There are lessons Jacob will have to learn and will learn. And uh, we, we will study those things as the Holy Spirit bears them out in his life. And so we read here in these last two verses, which is our text for today, that he married when he was 40 years old. In that year, and almost it seems at the same time in the, in the teaching of the Scripture, not one, but two wives of the Canaanites. He married the two wives or at around the same time. He refuses the example of his father and grandfather before him who take such precaution and, set, and, and acted in prayer and in guidance uh, in, by the Holy Spirit to find a wife for Isaac. He didn't get counsel from his parents. The last thing on earth they would have had him do was marry a woman from Canaan. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, and as we're studying this portion of Scripture, I often tell people to go back and read Leviticus chapter 18. And in that portion of Scripture, you'll find that when the children of Israel are about to inherit the land of Canaan and go into Canaan, God says, none of these things should ever be named among you in the most atrocious cataloging of sins known to man are listed there. And this was just the daily round of life for the people of Canaan. God tells his people to annihilate them and to drive them from the land because he will give them 400 years of space to repent, and they largely do not. And so God will bring judgment to the people of Canaan. And so, But now at this time, he would have had his people not to intermarry with those of the heathen. This shows how far down the broad road of destruction that Esau had already gone. He's running headlong to a lost eternity. Esau was like all lost people are. And I would 
tell you as you hear the gospel preached this morning to examine yourself, examine your profession of faith. Are you after the inclinations of Esau? Do you chaff when you're instructed? Do you despise or hold lightly or could care less about those precious things of the faith that your parents have handed down to you in which we're celebrating this Lord's Day? What is dear to you? What are your goals? What are you living for? Where are you headed? Esau was like all lost people, presumptuously living their lives. It's, isn't it silly how uh, we live our lives as if there's, that we know all things? Like the fool that the scripture says in the New Testament who uh, said, I'm going to tear down these barns and build bigger ones. I'm going to knock out the walls. I'm going to have a bumper crop. I had a bumper crop this year. I'll have a bigger crop next year. And the Holy Spirit lets us see in the scripture the both sides of the, the veil of the unseen. What does the scripture say? Thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Presumption. The sin of presumption, presuming upon the grace of God. There's some who heard the gospel who say, well, one day when I get through living the way I want to, I know what's right, I know what the Bible requires, and I'll get around to it one of these days. I'll get right. Presumption. How presumptuous that is. You know not what a day will bring forth. You don't know what your last minutes on earth will be. If you'll have a sane thought or any thoughts. Who knows how you'll live this life, a blood vessel bursting in the brain without having any thought or in a split second, a car accident. The the devil whispers in people's ears, you can have it on your own terms. You can get right with the Lord. You can be saved one day. But now, now is the time to eat, drink, and be merry. You're going to be an old person one day. Do all these things. Live it up. And Esau took that advice to heart. Oh, the, the psalmist writes, keep me back from presumptuous sins he thought that he was absolutely in charge of his own life how foolish to think of that i want to do what i want to do a person with that attitude the bible says that the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy he presumed that it really didn't matter anyway It was all just a bunch of ritual handed down. Who cared who was the first or the second or who had what? I'm tired of all that. I don't want to offer sacrifices anyway. I I have more to do than all that. That was his attitude. Not even God could tell him who to, to love, especially not his parents, those old fogies. How would they know what a pretty girl is like or who I want to marry? That's none of their business. I'll I'll marry who I want to. And he did exactly that. But these marriages were the opposite of true love. They weren't love. They weren't God's will. They were obviously out of lust. And Esau was absolutely unconcerned about God's will or his promises of future blessings or the associations with the, 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 those associations with the patriarchal line that was bringing into the world the Messiah. That was so far away, so many years away for somebody else. What do I, what do I care about all that? was Esau's attitude. How many choose the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life over the Lord? Jesus said plainly and emphatically in Luke chapter 9, He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life or try to save his life or work out his life on his own terms will lose it. 
That's a categorical statement from our Lord. You cannot do it your own way. You will mess it up. You'll lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, give his life over to me, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world, the fame, the, the acclaim, and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory, in his father's, and of the holy angels. Esau's marriages were not examples of youthful indiscretion. We, we cannot blame it on that because the Holy Spirit clearly tells us he's 40 years old. Many years of teaching and being under the godly examples of those patriarchs around him when he took these pagan Canaanite wives. This is a clear line of disobedience. It's a clear statement. I will live my life on my own terms and no one can tell me who to love or who to marry. It was a willful choice. It was a choice made against the counsel of his parents. We can see and just know the tears and the, the, the beggings and the pleadings of his parents falling on deaf ears. And it was a choice made against God's will which he knew as well. The Holy Spirit records that these two Hittite women were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. What a striking statement that was. Instead of blessing and joy that a daughter-in-law should bring into the home, they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. The Hebrew word there for grief includes bitterness. There were a bitterness to Isaac and Rebekah and trouble and provoking and vexing them. And the, the, the construction there say, indicates that it came from these women, not from Isaac and Rebekah, though they were disappointed and so forth. These Canaanite, Hittite women flaunted their unsavedness before these godly people. And it was a perpetual wounding, daily wounding of, to their heart and their soul. The names, as I've mentioned, given here in chapter 26, are the names that uh, Esau changes them to be. These are Hebrew names, uh, Judith and Bathshemeth. Their Canaanitish names were Ada and Aholibama. And in fact, they would marry, he would marry two wives with the name Bathshemeth. One of them was, this is just the beginning of Esau's marriages, as is often can be the case in those who marry outside the will of God. He will also marry another wife, unbelievably, by the name of Bathshemeth, who was the, the, the daughter of his uncle Ishmael. We see which side that Esau is leaning toward. The Holy Bama's name means tent of the high place. And in the scriptures, wherever you see that term high place, it is always referring to horrible worship practices of the heathen. It always involved immorality. And in the Canaanite deities, they would employ uh, prostitutes or priestesses as part of the regular ordinary worship. And this was the woman that, that Esau, one of the women that Esau married. She was highly connected. It would have been thought a noble thing in that warped and perverted mind for a father to give his oldest daughter over to that kind of thing. Do you see why when you read Leviticus 18, those unthinkable, unspeakable lists of sins, and that's exactly the type of person that Esau married. 
And so he married her because not only the lust of the flesh, but the right connections. And among the Canaanites, she would have been a well-connected, well-thought-of family. And that clout of coming from high society was appealed to Esau. No wonder Isaac and Rebekah were grieved when he brought her home and introduced her as his wife. He changed her name to Judith. There was... Something there interesting that um, we're not told who changed it. We, I've said that, that Esau changed it. It might have been the Isaac who did it. We don't know, but the names, she has double names. She has Hebrew and Hittite names. As long as Esau was around his parents, he used the Hebrew names for his wives as if that would lighten the, the, the sorrow and the grief of their heart about the condition. But as soon as he moved away, they dropped those names and they were known by their Hittite names in the scripture. He's like so many young people raised in Christian homes today who sadly live double lives, saying what their parents want them to hear and saying what their parents want them to do when they're around them, willing to keep the peace and enjoy the benefits of their hospitality and finances, but only too too glad to throw it all away when they get around the crowd as Esau did. Esau, you must remember, never wanted spiritual things. He never cared about truth. He never had a concern about God's word or his promises or his covenants or his blessings or his will. That was the farthest thing from his mind. Me, submit to an unseen God somewhere who may be there or may not be there in his thinking. I have no time for that. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to marry the right women. I'm going to fulfill every desire that I want, and no one is going to tell me how to live my life. Oh, what a dangerous, dangerous attitude to have. What he wanted was his own way. And that's exactly what God gave him. Do you know if, if God did not intervene? in our lives with his mercy and grace, we would be left our own devices. We would be left on the broad road which leads to destruction. The scripture tells us that everyone is born on that huge wide boulevard that's rushing. Oh, it's smooth sailing now. It looks like a wonderful life now, but there's a a, a chasm of destruction on the other end like a Niagara Falls leading to, to hell and eternity. If God did not intervene, if he just left us to our own devices, and all the lost want their own way. And that's what God gave Esau. He left him to his own devices. We must remember that when God leaves you to yourself to manage your own affairs without his word to advise you, or godly counsel and the fences of his protective will, you will not only get at the, the, the immediately fleshly pleasure and thrill of having your own boss or being your own boss, but you'll also get all the consequences that go along and the results that go along with a life lived without God's word. Remember, you may choose your choices, and that might not be the best grammatical construction. You may choose your choices, but you cannot choose the consequences of those choices. Satan whispers you can have it both ways, but you cannot. And sin has pleasure for a season, but only for a season. And if for a lifetime, only for this life, this is just the dressing room for eternity. 
We're just getting ready for the, the real life, the real deal, the real events. We only have to look in that. I almost chose for the scripture reading this morning that sobering portion of scripture in Luke where the Lord tells about the rich man who had a poor beggar, leprous, who begged at his gate day by day. And both of them died almost, it seems, at the same time. And it must have been somebody in all their minds that they knew about, though unnamed, when, when the Lord gave that illustration. They knew what he was talking about. And the rich man died, the Bible tells us, and went to hell immediately. There was no holding place where he went to figure out where he would go. And immediately, where did the poor man that begged at the gate? He went to be in the presence of the Lord. And he was the, the poor, the rich man who all of his life fared sumptuously and had the most expensive clothes you could buy, never thought for a thing, but lived in absolute pleasure, was reduced to nothing in eternity. You see, there are no status symbols in hell. There, there's no uh, trappings of success. Your name here on earth, will be, you'll be nameless in, in hell. But the unknown, the beggar in the street who knows the Lord will be among the redeemed. In the host of heaven, that great cloud of witnesses, and great and well done, thou good and faithful servant, they'll hear from the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord and the joys of the kingdom that I have prepared for you. Esau's heart and mind remained dull and dense, never enlightened by truth. Oh, the truth was there. He knew it, but he was never illumined. By the Holy Spirit of God taking the Word of God and showing Him the truth of these things. Oh, be careful that you handle the things of God, that you know chapters and verses and can argue positions and and know the Scripture and sit under teaching but never have the heart transformed. Esau's marriage to a Canaanite temple priestess, though a grief and a disgrace to his godly parents, gave him status and accessed into the best Canaanite circles. There, that her father had devoted his oldest daughter to temple prostitution was thought to be an honored thing. Do you see how warped the values become apart from God's word guiding us? Esau had married into the upper echelon of Canaanite society, a doomed society, by the way, a society that will one day come under the chastening hand of God And he would have been highly esteemed as if he had married some rock star goddess today or some Victoria's Secret model today. That's the life he wanted to live, and that's what he got. Of course, Isaac and Rebekah were grieved. It was a constant grief. Their hearts were stabbed every day, not only to know of this marriage, but of the children that would be born to it. And that side of their family being forever in the the part of the Canaanite people. Esau will go on to become an immensely wealthy and powerful man. We're not to say that a life of sin doesn't pay. Oh, it pays. Not always in wealth. I think sometimes in our preaching and teaching, we make the the mistaken idea that it will be a miserable life as far as these things are concerned. But the Bible tells us this pleasure for a season. He goes on to become an immensely wealthy man. Remember, the Lord said he would be. That's God's prophecy. He'll be a great nation. He'll be great as far as this world is concerned. But only as far as this world is concerned. There's more to it. 
and who's number one and who's the most Academy Award winner uh, director of all time and all those lists of acclamations that people just ooh and ah over. Esau left Canaan and he decided to make a name for himself somewhere else. It was getting awfully close at home. You can imagine it was getting awfully suffocating there. Like his uncle Lot before him, he moved from the place of truth from the place of fellowship, from the place of God's blessing and salvation to an utterly pagan society. Though all of Esau's sons would be born in Canaan, they all turned their backs on it just as their father did. Oh, what a sobering thing that ought to to be to our ears. You can be born around spiritual things, rub shoulders with godly people, know the truth, But you must be born again yourself to be a child of God. This takes a work of the Spirit in the inner man, in the heart. The seed of the Word of God must be implanted in the heart to bring forth the spiritual fruit of being born again. Esau's decision is one that you would expect. It was not from the heart of a renewed spiritual mind or a spiritual man. It was a decision totally of the flesh. The Bible teaches the flesh profits nothing. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you fast forward to the chapter I mentioned, Genesis chapter 36, you'll find a whole chapter given over to Esau and his descendants. And we're not going to look that in detail now, but I would have you to go read it. It's a list of names and people and of Esau's descendants. And you'll remember that the Bible says all Scripture is given of inspiration of God and is profitable. So keep that in mind when you read that, type, that, that kind of Scripture for teaching, for correction, and from completing us. Chapter 36 is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible, the kind that you are tempted to skip over if you do not discipline yourself to read all the Word of God, which I would encourage you to do. The chapter is a memorial. It is a biography, a genealogical record of the flesh. Though real, specific names and places are given and recorded It is a record of the outcome, the result of a life lived according to the dictates of the flesh and not after the Spirit. Esau's descendants become great. We must admit that, at least as far as the world counts greatness. They all married into illustrious, well-connected pagan families. The Bible mentions in chapter 36 that some of his grandsons became dukes or in that day and age, they became tribal heads or sheiks and the equivalent of royalty today. Oh, that looks good, doesn't it? Oh, what a, what a pleasing thing. My son is of a royal lineage, but there's no record that they sought the Lord or knew him savingly. Their great wealth, their status in society, their knowing the right people, their being constantly seen and heard with the beautiful people, avails them nothing in the day of death. For regardless of how successful we may be on earth, what beauty you may have, what success you may attain, one second after you pass from this life, one second in eternity, you will see too late 
what was real and what is lasting and eternal and important. Hebrews 10 verse 27 says, It is appointed unto man once, and after this, the judgment. So because of that, the writer goes on to say, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It is appointed to man once to die, but aren't you glad of that, that conjunction there? But Christ came to die for your salvation. We read Esau's epitaph. If you'll turn over to Genesis chapter 36, we'll just refer to one verse there as we close this morning. His epitaph, forever engraved in the monument of biblical remembrance. Genesis chapter 36 and verse 43 ends with these words. He is Esau. You see his tombstone this morning? Esau, the father of the Edomites. After all was said and done, after the marriage to the beautiful women, the well-connectedness of Canaanite society. Oh, he's a great man, a great nation as far as eyes are concerned, human eyes are concerned. The Holy Spirit says, Esau. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. A warring, fleshly, unspiritual people who will be a thorn in Israel's side for generations and generations. The struggle between those twins that began in Rebekah's womb will ultimately turn into a full-fledged war between Jacob's descendants and Esau's descendants. But one thing is clear. Esau's marriages further alienated Esau from concern for God's promises and purposes or standards of holiness. But here's what the Holy Spirit summarizes him as. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. Nations of people born under the curse, born without God, without any knowledge of God, without any care of God. It all goes back to chapter 26 and verse 34. Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife, just a marriage, pretty girl, let's get married, another pretty girl, let's get married. Simple as that. There's a world behind that decision that Esau could not have seen or known, but tragically, he didn't care, which were a grief of mine unto Isaac and Rebekah. Let us pray. Oh, dear Lord, we have heard from your word this morning. And I pray that the Holy Spirit, who moved men of old to pen these words, to hover in our midst today, showing us the things of Christ, opening hearts to the truth of the gospel, it is appointed a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. But Christ came. Christ came and died in our place and for our sin. Oh, I, I plead with you, be reconciled to God, to that one who 
may not be saved today. It is to own Christ as Savior, to come to Him, repenting, believing His gospel. Oh, would you not come to Jesus Christ just now, those who are outside of the faith? I would ask you this morning to examine yourself. Am I a Jacob or am I an Esau? Do I live after the the things of God or, or do I live according to the flesh? And let me ask you, are you resting in Christ alone for salvation? If not, I beg you to put aside your unbelief and your rebellion or your religion, your self-righteousness and humbly receive the salvation that Christ offers. You must be reconciled to God. And he's given you this very opportunity after hearing his word, hearing the gospel, to be saved. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. To as many as received him, To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name. Please turn from yourself and your sin and go to him just now by faith and in prayer, taking him at his word. He says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That believing thief looked to him in faith, and he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. With your whole heart, tell him of your need of salvation. You can do that where you are just now. Lord, I need to be saved. It will be too late when you pass from this life. The rich man realized too late. He was very concerned about his brothers, very concerned about his brother's souls. The Bible says it was too late. Ask the Lord to forgive your sins and give you a clean heart and to give you his righteousness. For he made him to be sin for us who do no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Oh, this is the Word of God. Would you think about your situation today? As always, this is a house of prayer. The Bible says my house should be called a house of prayer. If you feel the need to come and pray here in this place, perhaps you feel led to leave your place and come and pray here, we invite you to come to Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, this is Your Word, and I pray... Lord, that you'd open every heart and teach us from it today. In Jesus' precious name.